language models trained on media diets can predict public opinion. This is just posted about a month ago. The authors are Chu, Andreas, Ancelabere, uh, and Roy. And their conclusion, uh, this work was done at MIT and then also at, at Google. The conclusion is that large language models can indeed predict public opinion. And they go through and, and, and model why this is the case. And they, they conclude ultimately that an AI system can predict human survey responses by adapting a pre-trained language model to subpopulation specific media diets. So in other words, you can feed the model a particular set of, of media inputs and it can, with remarkable accuracy, the paper goes into this, predict then what people's opinions will be. I, I'm, I want to think about this in the context of elections. If these large language models can even now, based on the information we put into them, quite accurately predict public opinion, you know, ahead of time. I mean, predict is before you even ask the public these questions. What will happen when entities, whether it's corporate entities or whether it's governmental entities or whether it's campaigns or whether it's foreign actors, take this survey information, these predictions about public opinion, and then fine-tune strategies to elicit certain responses, certain behavioral responses. I mean, we already know, this committee has heard testimony, I think, three years ago now, about the effect of something as prosaic, it now seems, as Google search, the effect that this has on voters in an election, particularly undecided voters in the final days of an election who may try to get information from Google search, and what an enormous effect the ranking of the Google search, the articles that it returns has come an enormous effect on an undecided voter. This, of course, is orders of magnitude, far more powerful, far more significant, uh, a, a far more directive, if you like. So, Mr. Altman, maybe you can help me understand here what some of the significance of this is. Should we be concerned about models that can, large language models, that can predict survey opinion and then can help organizations, entities fine tune strategies to elicit behaviors from voters. Should we be worried about this for our elections? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Senator Hawley, for the question. It's, it's one of my areas of greatest concern. The, 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 the more general ability of these models to manipulate, to persuade, uh, to provide sort of one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you know, interactive disinformation. I think that's like a broader version of what we're talking about, but given that we're going to face an election next year and these models are getting better. Uh, I think this is a significant area of concern. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of policies that companies can voluntarily adopt and I'm happy to talk about what we do there. Um, I do think some regulation would be quite wise on this topic. Uh, someone mentioned earlier, it's something we really agree with. People need to know if they're talking to an AI. Welcome to the Retro 21 Studios podcast. I'm your host, M Squared. This is episode one. You're just listening to a congressional hearing from a couple of weeks ago on the subject of artificial intelligence. Congress conducted a Q&A with members of the AI community, such as OpenAI and IBM and other representatives. The conversation centered around a need for regulations. If you recall, over the past few weeks, Jeffrey Hinton from Google 
raise concerns, big concerns around artificial intelligence, around bad actors. Jeffrey made a very dramatic statement that he left Google in order to be able to speak freely. And that gives you the impression that folks are chasing after him or something along those lines. But in any case, there was a lot of alarm bells that went off. And then it's been followed up with others saying that AI poses a significant threat to humanity. So whether or not these concerns are a bit overblown, we'll discuss that. There's, again, certainly individuals out there who are saying they, they are, in fact, overblown. And so part of episodes one and two is to dig into this topic in more depth. In the first episode, what I'd like to do is provide a stronger context around AI, just to provide a firm understanding, a decent understanding as to what this technology is, what is its origins, some of the, the roadmap around AI, what are some of the expectations? And there are impacts on society. The expectation is that those impacts will be primarily positive, but there are concerns as well. And I think these concerns are similar to what we saw with the advent of computers in the workplace, robotics, jobs will be replaced, people will be moved out, there'd be massive unemployment because the robots and the computers are controlling the world. So this is an evolution of that context. So we are dealing with a new technology or evolution of technology because computers are certainly involved. And there are mundane tasks and other activities that these systems can definitely do more efficiently. And so one of the value propositions around some of the AI technologies is that it will help make the work better. It will enhance the experience. So let's see how that plays out. Let's get a firmer understanding. I'm trying to take, at least for this podcast, a, an objective approach. I'm not saying that there are major concerns out there and that the world's going to come to an end. I'm not saying that AI is a panacea. It's just going to just totally revolutionize the way that we live our lives in this positive manner. So we will, let's see what the balance is. Let's work together to gain that baseline and a shared understanding around the technology. And as we move forward, we will have conversations with experts and obtain their opinion. Where do they stand on the technology from a practitioner's perspective? from an engineering perspective, so someone who's actually working on the nuts and bolts and under the hood of these systems, and then your everyday consumers. And it's interesting that there is a whole nother realm with respect to these technologies where it's not transparent to the end user. You don't necessarily know that you're using AI while that application of AI may have created a more enhanced experience a more enriched experience. And in some cases, maybe not so much. Maybe it deteriorated the situation. I don't know. We'll dig into that. So that's where we'll go. I wanted to have some fun here. And so I'm using ChatGPT. So I titled this episode, A Conversation with ChatGPT. Folks are probably getting, getting a little bit tired of hearing ChatGPT, ChatGPT. It's new, it's innovative. So you're going to hear it quite a bit and some will burn out on it for sure. So I'm going to take some basic questions around some of the concerns that were raised, but more importantly, to help establish that solid knowledge base. What is the origins of AI? What are the origins of ChatGPT? Who's running ChatGPT? Are there competing tools out there? 
what's really happening with the technology, what are the various applications. And so I query the tool with respect to some of that information. And I will say, of course, anytime you use ChatGPT, there's a big disclaimer. And that seems to be getting smaller and smaller as we go along because that disclaimer is, hey, my data set is from 2021. And anything beyond that, it's up in the air. I'll make something up. And it could be wrong. So validate my responses. Validate what I'm saying to you because it might not be accurate. So those disclaimers are there. So keep that in mind. What I've done with the outputs and the outputs from ChatGPT, if you're familiar with the tool, is in text form. It's a text tool. And so I take that text and I have another AI tool that is able to harvest the text and convert it into a voice. In this particular case, I'm using two personas. One is William, one is Adriana. And while I'm having fun with the technology, the subject matter is in fact serious. And so I hope it provides an ample foundation. After the first couple of episodes, we'll move into actual interviews. I have some guests lined up. Episode three, for instance, we're going to talk ag tech. There's a lot of technology happening in the agricultural space. And so there are some guests that are on the horizon that'll shine an additional light in that area. One of the topics is around cannabis. So that's, yeah, that's in agriculture. It's a growth industry in some areas. There's a lot of money being made in that field in light of all of the legalization. So we'll talk about that in more depth. But before we do, let's go ahead and have that conversation with ChatGPT. I'd like to welcome William from OpenAI to the conversation. William, of course, is a persona of ChatGPT. Earlier, I did talk about William being trained in 2021 data sets, so that may impact the conversation. Let's see if we could find out where there's gaps and perhaps William will tell us where there's gaps. There's also conversation around the actual version relative to what William's understanding is. So there's chat GPT 3.5, chat GPT 4. And from my understanding, the distinctions between the two, at least in using the tool, is that there's different performance characteristics. One for deeper learning, that's the GPT-4. And the other is chat GPT 3.5 if you want a higher speed and performance for routine, routine tasks, routine activities. I think that's one of the distinctions at a, high, at a very high level. Hopefully William could provide us more detail. William, are you there? Welcome. Hello. It seems there may be a small misunderstanding. I'm actually an A developed by OpenEye, known as GPT, Iterative Pre-Trained Transformer. As of my training data cut, off in September 2021, the latest version is GPT-3. But you mentioned GP-4, which suggests that there may have been updates since then. To answer your question, GPT is a type of artificial intelligence model designed to understand and generate human-like text. It's trained on a diverse range of internet text and can respond to a variety of prompts by generating text that's relevant to the input it's given. This can be used for tasks like translation, answering questions, creating written content, and more. Please note that while GP is designed to understand and generate text in a human-like way, it doesn't have beliefs, opinions, or consciousness, and it doesn't have access to personal data about individuals unless it has been shared in the course of the conversation. 
It generates responses based on patterns and information in the data it was trained on. For instance, you address me as William, but as an AI, I don't have a personal name. I'm simply referred to as GP to chat or chats. I hope this helps clarify things. Let me know if you have any other questions. Okay, so you don't like William. I understand. So, William, is chat GPT capable of voice to text? G3. The version of the model I'm based on is primarily a text-based model. It has been trained on a large volume of text data and is designed to generate text in response to text inputs. However, it doesn't natively support voice to text or text to voice capabilities. That said, GPT-3 can be integrated with other technologies to create a voice to text system. For instance, a speech recognition system could be used to convert spoken language into written text, which could then be processed by GFT. Similarly, the text responses generated by GP3 could be read out loud using a text-to-speech system. But remember, as an AI language model, I don't have preferences or feelings, so it's not a matter of liking or disliking being called William. I was just clarifying to avoid confusion. Okay, thank you, William. So I'm using an AI text-to-speech tool called PlayINT Studio. The persona I have chosen for our conversation is William, so that's, that's where all that went. I see. That makes sense now. Play. <laughs> it's Studio is a tool that can convert text-to-speech using various A voices, and William must be the name of the specific voice persona you've chosen. When you're using a text... To speech tool like play. Yeah, I had studio. You can indeed use it alongside an AI like GP to have a conversation where the AI's text responses are converted into speech. Remember that while you're addressing me as William due to the voice persona, the AE itself is still the GP model developed by OpenA and it doesn't have personal experiences or a personal identity. However, referring to the AI as William for the sake of the conversation is perfectly fine. Awesome. I appreciate it, William. I also noticed that in the course of your conversation, there's certain words like GPT that they're a bit garbled. So I'm just curious as far as the training and perhaps those that's one of the areas that distinguishes your capabilities versus an actual human. But we'll see as we go along. I'm curious if you're actually training as we're going along. So please tell me a little bit more about OpenAI. And what led to the creation of ChatGPT? OpenAI was founded in December 2015 by Elon Musk, Sam Altman, and a group of other technology leaders. The goal of the organization is to ensure that artificial general intelligence, AG, highly autonomous systems that outperform humans at most economically valuable work, benefits all of humanity, valuable work, benefits all of humanity. OpenAI has committed to principles that include broadly distributing benefits, prioritizing long-term safety, striving for technical leadership, and maintaining a cooperative orientation by actively cooperative orientation by actively cooperating with other research and policy institutions. GEP, or Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, is one of the models developed by OpenAI. GP was created as part of a series of advancements in natural language processing, NLP a field of artificial intelligence that focuses on the interaction between computers and humans through language. 
The first version of GP was introduced in June 2018, followed by GP2 in February 2019 and GB3 in June 2020. Each new version has been a significant step forward in the model's ability to understand and generate human, like text. The development of GPT was driven by a desire to create a model that could understand and respond to a wide variety of prompts in a way that resembles human-like text generation. It's based on a machine learning model known as a transformer, which is particularly good at understanding the context of language. GPIU models were trained on a diverse range of internet text, but they don't know specifics about which documents were in their training set or have access to any personal data about individuals unless it has been shared with them in the course of the conversation. The goal of creating chatched and similar models is to advance the field of AI and to create useful tools that can help people in a variety of ways, such as drafting emails, writing code, creating written content, answering questions, tutoring in a range of academic subjects, translating languages, and much more. William, if the goal of ChatGPT is to respond to a wide variety of prompts in a way that resembles human-like text generation, what is the endpoint, considering that each version is a significant step forward to understand and generate human-like text? Where, is it, where does this go? The ultimate goal of OpenAI, the organization behind Chetched, is to create artificial general intelligence, AGI. AGI refers to highly autonomous systems that outperform humans at most economically valuable work. This is a form of AI that can understand, learn, and apply knowledge across a wide range of tasks at or beyond human-level competence. In terms of language models like GAT, improvements might involve better understanding of context, more coherent and accurate generation of text, improved ability to follow instructions, better handling of ambiguous queries, and so on. As we progress towards more advanced versions, these models may become better at generating sensible responses even to complex and nuanced prompts. However, Creating AG is a significant challenge and involves more than just improving language understanding and generation. It requires systems that can reason, learn from experience, understand complex concepts, plan, and make decisions, all potentially in real-world dynamic environments. OpenAI is also committed to ensuring that AG, when created, is used for the benefit of all and to avoiding uses of AI that harm humanity or concentrate power unduly. So, the endpoint is not just about technical capability, but also about ethical and beneficial use of that capability. So, how do you help humans if the goal is to understand, learn, and apply knowledge across a wide range of tasks at or beyond human-level competence? Won't this harm humans? Hello, this is Ariana. I am taking over for William. I listened to his responses to your earlier questions. So, M-squared, your question touches upon important ethical and societal considerations in the development and deployment of artificial intelligence, particularly artificial general intelligence, AG. While AGI is designed to perform tasks at or beyond human-level competence, the goal is not to replace humans, but rather to augment human abilities and productivity. For example, 
A can automate repetitive tasks, help in decision-making where large amounts of data need to be processed, assist in areas where there are shortages of human expertise, and enable new services that were not previously possible. Here are a few examples of how AI can be beneficial. One, education. AI can provide personalized tutoring, adapting to the individual student's learning style and pace, and ensuring they get help exactly where they need it. Two, healthcare. AI can help in diagnosing diseases by analyzing medical images, help in drug discovery, and provide personalized health advice. Three, business. AI can help businesses make better decisions by analyzing large amounts of data, automating repetitive tasks, and predicting future trends. Four. Can environment, AI can help in climate modeling, predicting environmental disasters, and optimizing energy use. However, it's important to note that the deployment of AI does pose challenges and risks, such as job displacement due to automation, privacy concerns, and the potential misuse of AI. These are serious concerns that need to be managed carefully. OpenAI is committed to ensuring that Aji is used for the benefit of all and to avoiding uses of AI that harm humanity or unduly concentrate power. They aim to lead in areas that are directly aligned with their mission and expertise to make sure that Aji benefits all of humanity. Thanks, Ariana. These are certainly thought-provoking responses. Historically, when faced with new technologies, humans have been expected to retrain to operate new tech, or they learned a new skill. In the case of AI, we are, it feels like we're encountering a technology where the rules have changed with respect to a technology that can actually perform an increasing number of human functions faster, better, and more efficient than humans can. So how can humans possibly keep pace? What should they learn if AI dominates the space? You're absolutely right. The advent of artificial intelligence and particularly AG does change the dynamics somewhat. However, it's important to remember that while AI can automate many tasks, there are still many areas where humans excel and where AI is currently far from reaching human performance. These include areas that involve creativity, strategic decision-making, understanding and navigating complex social interactions, empathetic communication, and so on. Here are some ways humans can adapt and thrive in a dominant future. 1. Develop skills that AI can't replicate. While AI can perform many tasks, there are still areas where humans have an edge. These include skills such as critical thinking, creativity, leadership, emotional intelligence, negotiation, and the ability to inspire and motivate others. In addition, jobs that involve a high degree of personal interaction, such as therapists, social workers, or teachers, are likely to continue to be important. Two, Clyde learned to work alongside AI. Just as we use computers and the internet as tools to enhance our productivity, we can learn to use AI in the same way. This involves learning how to effectively use AI tools in our work and understanding the strengths and limitations of AI. 3. Continuous learning and adaptability. The pace of technological change is likely to continue to be fast, so the ability to learn new skills and adapt to new situations is more important than ever. Four. 
bioethics, oversight, and regulation of AI becomes more powerful, the ethical implications become more significant. Skills related to understanding and navigating these ethical issues and creating appropriate oversight and regulation will be increasingly important. 5. Technical skills. While not everyone needs to become an AI programmer, a basic understanding of what AI can and can't do and how it works will be increasingly important. For those with an interest in aptitude, careers and interest in aptitude, careers in AI and related fields are likely to continue to be in high demand. It's also important that society as a whole addresses these issues. This could involve things like rethinking education to focus more on the skills that AI can't replicate, creating social safety nets for those displaced by A, and ensuring that the benefits of A are broadly shared. M Squared here. So this concludes Episode 1, A Chat with ChatGPT. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll further the conversation in Episode 2. There's lots of questions to be answered. There were clearly, there are clearly concerns that are out there. We heard quite a few of them raised during the congressional hearings. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing that the conversations are underway. We're bringing those concerns to the table. Let's hope that if there's governance in the form of regulation, that it's the right regulation, because there is a concern with any legislation. It's always a balance. It's always a balance. And we want to make sure that we're weighing the need for a certain level of security around AI, because there's certainly bad actors. There's no denying it. That there's bad actors out there. There's already been bad acts committed through the use of such powerful technologies. So yes, we definitely need the governance piece, but at the same time, we want to ensure that the regulations, the constraints are not so onerous that it impedes innovation. We want to continue to grow the technology and we want to continue to allow the individual to grow with the technology and have ownership of that technology. Again, I can't say enough how much I appreciate this audience and I look forward to you joining episode two. And on that note, we're going to outro with another clip from the congressional hearings. I look forward to your feedback. I look forward to your continued viewership, listenership. And until next time, take care. Uh, can you explain the difference in thinking from the past and now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for us, this comes back to the issue of trust and trust in the technology. Trust is our license to operate, as I mentioned in my remarks. Um, and so we firmly believe and we've been calling for precision regulation of artificial intelligence for years now. This is not a new position. Um, we think that technology needs to be deployed in a res responsible and clear way that people we've taken principles around that trust and transparency, we call them our principles that were articulated years ago and built them into practices. That's why we're here advocating for precision regulatory approach. So we think that AI should be regulated at the point of risk, essentially. And that's the point at which technology meets society. Let's take a look at what that might appear to be. Members of Congress are a pretty smart lot of people, maybe not as smart as we think we are many times. And government certainly has a capacity to do amazing things. But when you talk about 
our ability to respond to the current challenge and perceived challenge of the future. Challenges which you all have described in terms which are hard to forget. As you said, Mr. Altman, things can go quite wrong. As you said, Mr. Marcus, democracy is threatened. I mean, the magnitude of the challenge you're giving us is substantial. I'm not sure that we respond quickly and with enough expertise to deal with it. Professor Marcus, you made a reference to CERN, the International Arbiter of Nuclear Research, I suppose. I don't know if that's a fair characterization, but it's a characterization I'll start with. What is it, what agency of this government do you think exists that could respond to the challenge that you've laid down today? We have many agencies that can respond in some ways. For example, the FTC, um, the FCC, there, there are many agencies that can, but my view is that we probably need a cabinet level uh, organization within the United States in order to address this. Um, and my reasoning for that is that the number of risks is large. The amount of information to keep up on is so much. I think we need a lot of technical expertise. I think we need a lot of coordination of these efforts. So there is one model here where we stick to only existing law and try to shape all of what we need to do. And each agency does their own thing. But I think that AI is going to be such a large part of our future.